Well, my name's Santino. I'm one of the leaders here of the church. It's a privilege to be preaching to you this morning. But I hope you agree, what a fantastic church we are. So many people serving their socks off. It's great to see the machine in action as well, isn't it? Coming up on the screen behind me, look at all those teams. Listen, if you are part of any of those teams, we honour you. You do a phenomenal job and it is not too late to sign up. If you still feel you'd like to serve in any of these areas, please, as Em said, I don't know why I'm still holding this, speaking into it, please go to the visitors, uh, the information desk after the morning meeting and you'll be able to sign up and find out a little bit more. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to 1 Timothy and chapter 4. Just to let you know, if you're visiting us this morning, we're going through a, a series, a preaching series in 1 Timothy and we have now arrived at chapter 4. If you've missed any of it, you can go to our website and you can uh, catch up with us, basically. Today we're looking at one verse from chapter 4. We're going to pick up from the last time I spoke. We got to chapter 4, verses 11, but we're going to pick up verses 12 today, and then next week I'm going to finish the chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will come up on the screen behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Here we go. This is Paul writing, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. just want to pray. One verse. That's what we're going to unpack today. Holy Spirit, we... We love your ministry, we love your presence here. We love what you do with us, we love Jesus, that you just model Jesus to us, that you show us the Saviour. What a great time of worship where we can encounter you. And I just pray, as I speak, I pray for every one of us to encounter you in some way. I pray you'd change us through your word and for Jesus' good name. Amen. Now the title this morning is simply this, Smile, you're on CCTV. And I found this picture, it should come up about afterwards. That's what I want you to remember as we go into this message, Smile, because you're on CCTV. And it's going to be very different than the CCTV that we're familiar with and it will unravel itself as I go, hopefully. I want to give you a bit of background information first. 1 Timothy is written by a guy called Paul, I'll have some of that in a moment, and it's written to a chap called Timothy. Timothy's thought to be in his 30s, mid-30s, there or thereabouts, and he's probably one of the youngest, or if not among the younger believers, in this place called Ephesus, at the church. He's certainly among the youngest in that group of elders. Now, Timothy has been mentored by Paul. Paul is very much like a spiritual father to Timothy. They've got a good relationship. I think we can take that from the scriptures. They know each other. Timothy has been trained by Paul into church leadership. Now this letter comes to continue to instruct and teach Timothy in the ways he needs to lead the church at Ephesus. Timothy is fighting against a tide of false teaching that's coming in. That's the context. That's what we've got to see. In our context here today, it's all quite uh, joyful, if you like, and peaceful. 
Timothy, this letter is written to Timothy and it's coming in the, in the context of false teaching. There's this tide of false teaching that's creeping into the ter- church and it's false doctrines. We see that in 1 Timothy. Men that are teaching false doctrines, endless chitter-chatter, if you like. It says godless chatter, endless myths, genealogies, meaningless talk, it also mentions. And it's coming from what is described in chapter 4, verse 2, from hypocritical liars. That's quite a challenge. All of this talk is coming from hypocritical liars. What does that mean? Those, I guess, that are insincere. Those that might be double-minded, two-faced. Those that are deceitful, maybe devious. And Timothy was encouraged to stand against such hypocritical liars. And the way he's encouraged to stand against it is not by starting to get even more above himself, it's by simply setting an example. That's what Paul says. He says, this is happening, don't let anyone look down on you, instead set an example. He's to model something, which I found interesting in this text, to the believers. Paul says, Timothy, model something to the believers so they have something tangible they can follow. Not something they can just read about, they need to see it in your life. Now he's of course to teach into it, he's of course going to teach truth on the back of false doctrine, that's right and proper. But the only way that's going to validate all of this truth is he's going to model it by his lifestyle. His lifestyle is going to validate everything that he says. Now, he, he would have learnt from Paul. Timothy was familiar with Paul's ways. He knew Paul. And Paul wrote a, a letter to a Corinthian church and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is Paul's words. Follow my example. It's quite an arrogant, bold thing to say, isn't it? Ron, follow, follow my example. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There's a second part to that. So basically he's saying to Timothy and those that are listening, all in Corinth, imitate me, model me as I imitate the Saviour. That's the deal. Now there are a number of reasons why people can get looked down on. We tend to judge a book by its cover, don't we? Here in verse 12... It's age. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But rather, set an example. Here it's age. But it could be anything. Could be age. Could be gender. Could be race. Could be background. Could be ability. It could be anything. There are a number of reasons why anyone looks down on anyone. You know, that's, that's what happens. People look down on each other. And I think there's a principle here. The way we respond is not to desperately try and prove ourselves. Please recognise me. Watch watch me. It's not to desperately try and prove ourselves. It's instead to do what Paul encourages Timothy to do. Set an example. Push your life out before people. Not a trumpet. Push your life out before people. 
It's awful when the church is known for hypocrisy. It's awful when any area of society is known for hypocrisy. And it's everywhere, isn't it? It's rife. In your, in your workplace, in your school, in your college, in your home life. People say one thing with their mouths and live a completely different way with their lifestyle. We need to set an example to each other. As a believer, as your brother in Christ, if you're, not here and you don't, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I really want you to listen in this morning. We're to set an example to one another. So we imitate one another. In turn, we imitate something to the world. We need to imitate the brilliance of Jesus to Hastings. Do you agree? We don't just sit here and tell each other what to do. We imitate with our lives. That's why I've called this message Smile. Smile first, because you're always on CCTV. You never know when the cameras are going to be picking you up. You never know when people are going to be watching. They're always watching. Here in verse 12, Paul gives Timothy five areas for him to set an example in. And that's what we're going to look at today. Speech, life, love, faith and purity. We're just going to rattle through them. And what it is, it's mirror time. It's holding up a mirror against our own lives and saying, how do I match up to this? So let's go through these headings. First one, speech. Set an example in speech. Now what we say, our words have power. They have more power than we actually think. You might be here this morning still thinking about how words have shaped your life in some way because of the way you've been talked to or treated. Words that have been spoken over your life telling you you're no good, you were an accident, that you'll never match up to anything. Or maybe words that have said, well done, you're wonderful, you're the best son a father could ever have. One way or the other, words will shape our lives. The words we use will either build up or tear down. They will bring life or death to people. They are not insignificant. Every choice conversation, you will be either lifting someone up edifying their soul or tearing them to bits. Maybe things in between, but they'll be in them camps. I pray that the Holy Spirit does business in all of us this morning. Let's look at some ways very quickly that we can speak, ways in which we use our words. As I've said, we use them to edify, to encourage, to correct, to challenge. We use our words to instruct or to teach. I'm a father, like many of you here, and I use words to instruct and teach my children. Sometimes they're goofy words, but they're words they'll understand. We use words to honour. We use words to dishonour. We use words in anger and frustration. To cause harm, we use our words to lie. White lies, half lies, half truths. We use words to to deceive people, to trick people, to persuade people, to flatter people. This is an issue. We use our words just to flatter people at times with no real substance to them. We use words to gossip and slander as well. It says in Proverbs that the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. 
that go down to the very inmost being. So true, isn't it? Gossip is like treacle to your ears. We all say, oh, no, 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 I don't gossip. But as soon as there's a bit of gossip, what's, what's that? It invites us in. This is all triggered by the little muscle in our mouth called the tongue. That's what does it all. And in James, I'm going to turn to a book in the Bible called James and listen to this. I'm just going to pull out a few verses to tell you what the tongue does. Take ships as an example. Although they are large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder to wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue. It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire and a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. And listen to this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, it says, this should not be. John Calvin, a man called John Calvin wrote this, or quoted this, the tongue exists to reveal our hearts. You ever thought of that? The tongue exists to reveal our hearts. As I was thinking of that, I was thinking, is that right? Jesus seems to say the same thing. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is talking to the religious heads and he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of what is going on in the heart, the mouth seems to not be able to contain it and just blurts out exactly what's in the heart. Have you ever been in that place? When you want to hold it in, you want to hold it in, you want to hold it in and then it just flows from the heart and then you think, oh, that's really what's in me. That's really what's going on. I'm sure all of us are guilty of saying some crazy and horrific things at times. With the same tongue we praise God and we pull down people. Now the book of Proverbs is known as God's wisdom to us. It's full of examples of the mouth and the tongue and, and folly and how we're to use our lives, etc., And it says this, I I think to watch what we say and how we speak is actually exercising godly wisdom. I think it really is. That seems to be what God disciplines me on time after time after time. Just watch your mouth. It says in Proverbs 13, 3, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Have you ever heard the expression, hold your tongue? I was going to ask you all to hold your tongue, but I realised that's going to be really gross. And then you're shaking hands with people afterwards and stuff. The expression, hold your tongue. I thought this the other day. You try speaking while holding your tongue. It's really difficult, near on impossible. But I think there's wisdom here. As godly vessels, we need to learn how to hold our tongue. We need to learn how to guard our lips, even when we feel like we've been hard done by, mistreated, wrongly accused, whatever that might be, we still, godly wisdom says, hold your tongue, guard your lips. We often want to get the last word across, if you're anything like me. 
That's what pride does to you. You often want to say, oh yeah, but did you hear about this? To make yourself look good or get yourself in a better light or prove your point. Pride does that. Consider Jesus. I want us to just consider Jesus. The innocent one. God himself. The one that was falsely accused, mistreated, beaten, spat at, punched, kicked, beard pulled out, executed. The one that was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Let's consider him who remained silent, Scripture teaches, on the way to the cross, didn't say a word. In 1 Timothy 1.6, Paul says, Some have wandered away from these things and have turned to meaningless talk. 1 Timothy 6.20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, that is the Gospel, and turn away from godless chatter. So I want to ask you a question. How do you speak? How do you speak? Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. How do you use your tongues, your words? Why don't we make this our goal? There's a good principle here from Colossians 4 verse 6. It's a principle. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's a good principle. Let your conversations be full of grace. That does not mean you never correct people. That does not mean that you stand up for what is right. You still need to do that. But it means your conversation is full, it's ram-packed of grace. Application for that first point. Make it your goal to set an example to the believers, to all that you come in contact with, that your speech reflects the gospel, reflects Jesus Christ. Second heading is life. Set an example in life. The ESV translation says, set an example in conduct. I love that. So I'll take that to mean your behaviour, your, your ways, your manner, maybe your character. Set an example in your character. Some areas of this conduct we see in chapter 3 in 1 Timothy. Now I know it's specifically talking about elders or overseers and deacons, but the principles are there to be drawn out for us all. Be above reproach. Now this means looking to be above reproach. It's not looking for perfection. It's not saying that you're the perfect person. It's saying just don't entertain anyone criticising you. Don't give people that option. It talks about being faithful to one wife not having many girlfriends, even with the eyes, even online. I think you can flip this principle and saying wives have one husband. It's not saying that wives can have eight husbands, but husbands have one wife. Temperate, comfortable to be around, your pleasant company. People don't have to tread on eggshells around you. You know... It's so painful, isn't it, when you have to... Oh, I wonder how I'm going to find this person today. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to drunkenness. I I enjoy a glass of red wine. This isn't saying do not drink. It's saying you're not given to drunkenness. 
Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to craziness. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Enjoy a glass of red wine. Don't just get absolutely hammered because it's going to lead to you doing bonkers things. That's my translation. Not violent, but gentle. We can be violent in our hearts. It's saying be gentle, not quarrelsome. Are you someone that looks for a quick little bit of squabble? Hey, I want to I just push on this a little bit. Yeah, I just want to get my point across. Let me give you my feedback on how I think things are going. Why don't you keep your feedback? Why don't you assess what's going on in your own life? Not quarrelsome, not looking to cause fights and, and quarrels and dissensions and divisions and arguments, but accepting that we're part of one family. And in any one family, there's always going to be a difference. Not a lover of money, greedy. You're able to manage your family, you're sincere. I take that to mean genuine, truthful, honest, you're straight. Jesus gives us a principle here. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 5, I think it is, Jesus talks about oaths, if, if you can remember. And he says, simply this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I find that challenging, do you? If you, if you say you're going to do it, do it. And if you say you can't, don't. Don't be double-minded, sincere. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm going to move on. We mustn't look at this and say, oh well, that's, that's not me. That's maybe for Paul, that's maybe for the elders and deacons here, but that's not me, because I'm not one of those. Well, Timothy, as I said, is to set an example for the believers. So it's crazy to think that he set an example for them to just say, hey, check me out. All the best. He's saying, this is my example, and this actually is worthy to follow for all of us. So it's not what we say, it's how we live. We do need to be straight, but actually our lives will back up what we say. It speaks volume. So Paul set an example to Timothy in word and deed. That's where Timothy would have learnt it from. And it says in 2 Timothy 3.10, You, however, Timothy, you, however, you know my teaching. You've seen my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my endurance. Basically, Paul's saying, Timothy, you know me. You know what I've taught, keep teaching it. You know my way of life, keep modelling it. So a question for you again. If asked, if asked, how would people describe you? Man, it's a challenge, isn't it? Maybe your workplace, maybe your school, your college, your family. If I was to ask your husband, your wife, how would they describe you from that list? I found this a challenge, you know. Whether we like it or not, people are actually watching us, watching our every move. That was certainly my story. Before I came here and encountered you guys, I was working with someone and I just watched him. I didn't, said, I didn't wake up thinking, yeah, I know, I'll watch Gaz again today. Yeah, that would be good. I just remember looking back now thinking, I was just watching how he responded to stuff. And he was a great example. People are watching our every move. People want to see whether our talking 
actually matches up in our walking. Here is a really challenging quote from a guy called Phil Moore, and he's taken it from Mahatma Gandhi, of all people, and it's from a little book series that he's done called Straight to the Heart, from Matthew's commentary he's done, and he says this, Mahatma Gandhi, the Hindu founder of the modern state of India, was once asked by a Christian missionary why he often quoted the words of the Sermon on the Mount, yet he refused to follow Christ. He replied, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, the whole of India would be Christian today. And I know he's not the Holy Spirit, and I know he's not the Bible, but it's a very profound quote. I often think that. If only every Christian lived according to what this said, the world would be such a better place. We are called to be salt and light. That's what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel. Salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then he says, let your light shine before men so that people may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Basically, just be... Just be salt and light. Us, me, you, church, we're to be salt and light. Let's let Hastings see our good deeds and praise God in heaven. So a question, what kind of life are you modelling? We need to take control of our lives and not make excuses. I think we can often do that. We're all in danger of doing that, that's just how I am, that's just how I'm wired, this is just me, take me or leave me, at least I'm real. There are a number of reasons why we might make excuses for our lifestyle. And I'm not undermining the difficult lives that people lead, but that is still not to dictate the new life, hear that, the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. It must never dictate your new life. If I were to say, well, my family have addictive qualities and personalities, my dad was a drug user, and and that's just the way it was modelled to me, that's just who I am, is that okay? It's gone really quiet. Do you think that's okay? No, no. We need to push each other and keep saying, no, no, no. No, that's never okay. I'm a new creation. I don't have to succumb to the thoughts and the temptations and the pains and the trials that I once did because I'm brand new. I've got a new heart. I've got new desires. I've got new motives and drives and wants and passions. I'm brand new. Because of Jesus' death, and his resurrection, all that we sang about today, I have been changed. I've been changed. I'm no longer the same, I'm a new man, and I've been empowered to live a brand new way. And if you're here this morning and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that is true of you. You need to celebrate in that. You're a new you, a new creation, and God will empower you to live 
in a new way. Many live in the shadow of who God has created them to be. Live in the shadow of it, who you are in Christ. We live defeated lives at times. I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm useless, I will never amount to anything. I've recently started hearing my son speaking things over his life, saying I'm hopeless of that, and me and Emma just getting in quickly on the back of it. Oh no, 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 no. Hear him say words like I'm an idiot, and you're like, there's no way. I'm gonna, the complete opposite is what I'm going to cover him with. We need to learn to walk in the truth of who we are, walking in a brilliantly new way. In Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come and the old will never come back. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is a verse I've been living in lately. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is how I want to encourage us, me, us to live. Check this out. Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. And do this in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is a brilliant model to follow. This is how we're to live. A life worthy of our calling. A life worthy of the gospel. A life worthy of King Jesus. That's how we're to live. So let's make it our goal to set an example to each other that reflects the brilliantness of Jesus. Third heading, love. Set an example in love. It says in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God, therefore. You don't need to go much further than that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ has loved us and has given himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The greatest command we have is one of love. That seems to be a repeated message in the Bible. Just give yourself wholeheartedly to God and love your fellow man. Yet we find the second much more challenging. We're a people called to love. God places a really high value on it. Why? Because he is the very source and essence of love. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. And then in Romans 5.5 it says, God is, so from God is love, Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So God is love, and all of God's love has been poured out into the believer. What does this love look like? Well, you know I'm going to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is not a wedding, by the way. This is often read out at weddings, and I'm not knocking that, but it should be read out over us all the time. Because this is how we're just to treat each other. Paul writes this, letter and in chapter 13 it says uh, just before chapter 13 it says now I'm going to show you the most excellent way basically I'm going to show you the best way if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I am only a resounding gong 
or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries of knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, to the food bank, if I pour all that I have into the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It is not envy. It is not boastful, sorry. It is not... It's kind, I've skipped on. It's not proud. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. It always perseveres. And then he says, love never fails. That's Christian love. You might be here and it's challenged you. You might be here saying, do you know what? I cannot love like that. Yes, you can. We can all love like this. It might be a challenge. It might not have been modelled to you. You might have had horrific examples of love, lack of love modelled to you, but you can love like this. Those that have received God's grace, God's love, can now offer God's love and grace in return. Love is active, and it means simply putting other people before yourself, and it means taking an active step of saying, I choose to do what I've just heard. Love is not just that nice, warm, gushy, whooshy feeling. We're told to put on love. We're told to bind everything up together in love. We're told in the scriptures that if we have not love, we are nothing. We're a noise. We gain nothing. We are nothing. Love is everything. Without love, it is all meaningless. Without love, everything crumbles. Love is the glue that holds this whole thing together. Love is the glue. Love accepts, it forgives. Love covers a multitude of sins. It says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other and love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love heals past hurts. Love holds on to commitment. Love brings down barriers and wins people over. Love displays Jesus to those that don't know him. Have you ever thought like that? In John's Gospel it says, By this all men, by your love, all men will know that you are truly my disciples if you love each other. There's a guy called Philemon and Paul wrote to him and he says, Your love has given me great joy. It's been joy to me. It's been encouragement to me. And it's been a refreshment for the saints. So we need to continue to love each other. There's more to say, but I want to move on for the purpose of time. Set it your goal to make an example for the believers in love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 daily if you need to. And don't pray it over yourself. Walk into it. Choose to put it on. You're not going to pray to become more patient and then suddenly, wow, 
I feel more patient this morning. You're going to say, I, I feel I can't do this, but I'm going to choose to do it anyway. Faith. The last two ones I've got to get through quicker. Set an example in faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Timothy is instructed to fight the good fight of faith. That's the fight. That's the deal. That's the fight Timothy is involved in. It's a fight of faith. That's our fight. That's what we're involved in. And it's a fight of faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, this is Paul saying to Timothy, I've been reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that now lives in you also. Timothy's a man of faith. Paul recognises this in him. He sees something of faith in Timothy, and he says, you know what, I'm persuaded it's in you. I knew it was in your grandma, I knew it was in your mum, but it's in you, I can see it. Is it in you? It it might have been in your mum and your granny and your your granddad, your friend. Is it in you? Is faith in you? Faith is not, let's just hope for the best. Tell you what, let's have a prayer meeting this morning. Let's just hope for the best. Let's have a... We're calling tonight's prayer meeting positive thinking. That's not faith. You hear it said, we need more faith. I need more faith. I need to find. Can you tell me where I can find more faith? I want to challenge that a little bit this morning. I don't think that's the right way of looking at faith. Faith is not dependent on us. There is nothing I can do to rustle up more faith within me. Faith does not start our end. It starts God's end. How does faith come about? Listen to this in Romans 10:17. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from, revela- from revelation, from hearing, from, from a voice that is not our own. And faith comes from hearing from God. That's where it starts. We can grow in faith, but faith first comes from God. It has to. Otherwise it's religion. We're trying to do things ourselves. Faith comes from hearing and it starts his end. We're saved by faith from God revealing himself in his son and the salvation plan. That's what was revealed to me. I didn't think, I know. Let's see if I can find a way to salvation this morning. Suddenly Jesus was revealed. Faith. I'd heard. I'd seen And then the rest of our life is a continual walk in faith. On the back of speaking like this, this is what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We can only be sure and certain through God speaking. I can't be sure and certain through my own voice, through your voice. I can only be sure once I know, God, you've spoken. And that's the same for you. You can only be sure when you know God's spoken. Timothy was a man of faith because God had called him. God had spoken to him. If you remember in chapter 1, it says, Timothy, hold on to these prophecies that were spoken over you from the laying on of hands. 
God spoke through other elders, laying hands on Timothy, commissioning Timothy. God's spoken. I can guard this church. That's, that's, the, that's how it works. Faith correctly understood is releasing. It means you do what God wants you to do. You don't do what I want you to do. Got to be careful how I say this. But it starts with God. Faith correctly understood is releasing. There are a million and one brilliant things we can be doing. There's loads of good Christian initiative, but real faith enables you to hold your nerve to say God has called us for this season. God has called us, King's Church Hastings, to penetrate this way. That's brilliant what everyone else is doing. God bless you. But God's spoken to us. God has spoken to us. And we're going to go this way. Real faith is seen to be sincere, genuine, honest, authentic. Real faith is seen to be secure that no matter what you go through, there are some amazing examples of faith among us. That we lose loved ones, that we lose jobs, that we lose our health, yet there's something of real faith that says, I'm holding on to Christ. Because I know through all this, Christ is holding on to me and he will never let me go. That's real secure faith. Do you see it? Do you see it here? Because I see it. I see it and I commend you for your faith. I commend many of you for your faith. I need to move on. Make it your goal to set faith before you. Purity, and we're going to finish with this. I will whistle through it. Bear with me, guys. Set an example in purity. Purity is a lifestyle thing. It's ultimately a heart issue. As I was looking at that as a man, I can instantly think of purity issues that I face. And it's so much wider than that. Purity is a heart issue. It's not simply just a sexual thing that often men, because we're attracted with our eyes, I'm not saying that's one of my issues, by the way. I've got to validate that, haven't I? Because of the first thing I just said. But so often we say, purity, sexual thing. No, 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 it's much, much broader. It's a heart issue. And purity is an issue that faces all of us, both men and women, young and old. It might vary with age, with situation, with circumstance, but we will all face purity issues at some stage or another. Those that have been born again have received new hearts and new motives. We are swimming up the tide, though, of the values that comes out. Would you agree? We're swimming against a strong tide coming our way. But the Bible tells us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And that could be sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greeds, what have you. Whatever it says... Whatever it might be, we are to put it to death. The old nature desires impurity. The new nature, the new man, desires what pleases God. I've got lots to say under this heading, but that's what I want you to hear. The new man desires to please God. To please him. The old man, the old ways, looks to please God our own. We have put to death things of the flesh. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. I want to finish with this quote and then I'm going to ask you to stand. The greatest single cause of atheism, Billy Graham writes, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's a profound quote. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I ask you to stand? Ellie, are you okay just to come up and strum very briefly on the guitar? The children are going to come back in in a moment, but as Ali just plays, I just feel I'd like the Holy Spirit to minister. And it's going to be brief, and I've run on, and I've got to keep this short, but there's no rush. You don't have to rush out the door. For those that need to go and get their children in a few moments, please do so. But for the rest of us, until you feel you want to go and get yourself a coffee, I want the Holy Spirit to minister to you the Holy Spirit to do business in you. Let us set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. This is all made possible as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It says as we walk with him, we will become more Christ-like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. So I'm going to pray Alid's going to play and then I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and just do whatever he wants to do. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for us. I thank you you gave your life for me. And I thank you that because of your grace you have changed us inside out. Thank you that there is now a new life that I can display to a watching world. Thank you that there is a new life that is going to see me into eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love me inside out. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us, you train us, and you make us more and more like Christ. So I pray you'd come and do that as we sing and as we worship you.